Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. Welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 119, Falconry, an intangible cultural heritage of humanity. Now this week, I'm going to be talking with Margaret Young about the ancient practice of, yes, falconry. Margaret was born and raised in southeastern Pennsylvania and currently lives in Berks County. She has been a licensed falconer for seven years and has experience working with birds of prey since 2013. She was formerly a volunteer at her local Audubon chapter, and she owns her team now of Ambassador Raptors since 2019. She uses them to present educational workshops for children and adults. During our conversation, you're going to hear us talking about things like what is falconry? And she's even going to provide a little bit of a brief history of the practice as well. She's going to fill us in on how to become a falconer, how to get a bird of your own, how to train those birds, and what falconry seasons look like in Pennsylvania. So let's just dive right in. Before we keep going, a real quick question for you. Are you concerned with urban sprawl? Are you concerned with the threat of our increased human presence as put on wildlife and wild spaces? If so, an easy next step for you to try to help with this situation is to visit our Patreon page and become a monthly supporter. If you like this podcast, if you would like to help form a new nonprofit that helps combat and mitigate the effects of urbanization, visit patreon.com slash conserve the wild. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash conserve the wild. Go visit today and become a sponsor. All right, everyone, welcome back to this wonderful podcast with what I am going to say is going to be probably one of my favorite guests, uh, just by what I'm seeing on screen. So as you heard in the intro, we have Margaret Young. Margaret, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? All right, so that was a perfect introduction right there. Uh, what are we hearing with that bell? Okay, so she's ringing her bells. She's playing with them, and we have the bells on them. Um, so I can hear what she's doing when I'm not looking at her, whether she's in the back of the car on the way to a hunting spot or up in the air. I don't necessarily have to be looking at her to know where she is and what she's doing. And, and who is she? I mean, we're people. We like to give our our animal's name. So what's her name? And if you can sort of describe her for everyone. So this is Storm. She is a Jeer Falcon Saker Falcon hybrid. She looks mostly like a Jeer Falcon though. Um, you know, gorgeous big white bird. 
and she's a hybrid, but falcons are interestingly um, closely enough related to each other that a lot of times when you hybridize two different types of falcons, you actually end with end up with viable offspring and you can dilute one side or the other. So she is actually only five-eighths gear falcon. She's five-eighths gear falcon and three-eighths sacred falcon because of that. And, and as we were talking before we started recording, uh, the reason for that is just pretty much for the health of the bird more than anything else. It's for the health of the bird. There are some minimal behavioral dis differences, but the most popular one is um, the sacred falcon has a more robust immune system. It is more uh, immune to a disease called aspergillosis, which is a fungal infection that gets in the lungs. Um, because sacred falcons are used to uh, very warm areas, they're a little bit more resistant to that, whereas gyrofalcons um, and other cold weather birds tend to fall um, prey to that disease pretty quickly. It, it, it's interesting how we just, as, as humans, you know, we find something that works uh, and then we can find ways to, to make something a little bit better. Like here's a bird that we can train to hunt. Uh, and then yet um, just to make the, re, you know, future birds a little healthier, uh, we can sort of crossbreed a little bit and, and help out those birds. That's, it's always amazing to me what people decide to do to try to uh, just make, you know, something a little bit better than it already is. So as as I mentioned in the intro and, and everyone heard, we're going to be talking about falconry. Uh, can we, can you first just sort of explain very quickly, what is falconry? Um, when we hear that term, what is it that we're describing? So falconry in its truest form is a hunting sport. Uh, there's a lot of different practices that use falconry techniques, but aren't necessarily falconry. So falconry in its truest form is hunting wild game with a trained bird of prey. Um, whether that's out with a red-tailed hawk in the middle of the woods and you're running through the briars like a rabbit, or whether you're out with a falcon on a farm waiting for the falcon to knock one of the pigeons out of the sky. So, so we use the term falconry, but it, it can be applied to using any bird of prey, right, that, that we've trained to hunt for us, correct? Yeah. Yep, so that, that's the name of the permit. Um, I technically wasn't a falconer until fairly recently. I would have been considered an offspringer um, before permits came along. That was the work for somebody who flew hawks instead of falcons. Okay, uh, so you've mentioned hawks. Um, you have a falcon you know, perched right next to you. So obviously those are two type of birds that are, I, I'm going to say commonly used. Are there any other birds of prey that are commonly used or is it typically going to be just those two? It's typically going to be either a hawk or a falcon. There's a lot of different types of hawks and many different types of falcons, but I'd say probably 90% of falconers use one of those two. Um, over in England, it's more popular, it's that out and out west in the United States too. It's more popular for eagles to be used because there's bigger things like jackrabbits, it's more open. Um, and a very few people use owls. I have only heard one or two success stories with those though. They're not very common at all. Ooh, that would be, that'd be different because I would assume that would have to be done more at night or. It's dusk and dawn hunting. Dusk much. and dawn. Okay. Okay. So can you just give us like a real brief history of falconry? I mean, I just, 
it's hard for me to grasp the concept that some, one day someone said, which I don't know why I have hunting dogs, right? Like we train dogs to aid us in hunting. Um, but for some reason, it's a little more difficult for me to think that at one point, a human being said that bird is good at hunting and would help me hunt. I'm going to catch it and train it to hunt for me. Um, so can you give us just that brief history of falconry? Like, you know, how did, how does it even start? Yeah, so there is a lot of stuff we don't know about exactly how falconry started or even where exactly it started. Um, the general consensus is that it started in Japan and over in Asia about 2000 years ago. So falconry was act, would have actually been the most efficient way to put food on the table at one point in time. Um, it took a pretty serious down uh, decline with the invention of rifles and accurate um, bows and arrows because then those became more efficient for putting food on a table than a falcon. Um, so that is where it started and falconry is still part of a lot of different cultures um, even today, um, especially up in Mongolia, their falconry hasn't changed very much at all. Uh, they, they still use a lot of the traditional equipment and techniques. That, that is interesting. You know, I, I remember uh, hearing a story um, someone's experience with some Mongolian hunters where they use golden eagles, you know, they use eagles. Um, they basically just like capture juvenile ones and, and train it. Um, so I, I'm sure that I'm sure that like the Pennsylvania Game Commission or the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service would not be happy if I just walked out my door and like captured, uh, you know, a falcon or a hawk, right? Um, so if you're, you know, if I'm interested in becoming a falconer, uh, and I want to try to get into the sport. Like, how do you go about getting the bird? You mentioned permitting and things like that. Like, I'm sure there's red tape you have to go through. Yes. So what kind of steps do we have to take to get started in this sport? So honestly, the hardest part to get about getting into falconry is finding another falconer that is willing to, to take you on. And, and it's a true apprenticeship is what it is. Um, you legally have to have an experienced falconer sign off on you saying to the game commission essentially that they are going to be responsible for teaching you how to maintain a bird and essentially for the health and welfare of your bird for a period of two years or longer if they feel it's necessary. And getting someone to commit to that's really the hardest part. Um, once you have that, it's pretty easy, relatively speaking. Um, you need to the, pass the exam that's issued by the Game Commission. It's a 150-question written exam. Um, and then given that you have the sponsor, your, hunting, your regular hunting license, and you've passed the exam, you have all those three things, they will send a game warden out to inspect your facilities and equipment. Um, and once you have the facilities, equipment, and everything inspected and passed inspection, they send you the permit in, your ma in the mail and then under the supervision of your, your sponsor or another experienced falconer, then you can go trap. Um, in most states, it's either a red-tailed hawk or American kestrel. Okay, uh, so you mentioned um, that the hardest part is finding a falconer to mentor you. Um, I mean, I feel like the reason why that's hard is because there's not a ton of falconers out there uh, you know, is this something that is like super rare? Like there's only maybe 10 of them in Pennsylvania or 
Is it like a hundred? I mean, where, where are we sort of sitting at with how many people participate in falconry? A few years ago, last I checked, the number of licensed falconers in Pennsylvania was just shy of 200. It's like about between 190 and 200 in the state, but not all of those are actively practicing and not all of those are at the point where they would are experienced enough to take an apprentice, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. And that, I, I have to be honest, I feel like um, that number is actually higher than I would have imagined it would have been. Um, I can honestly say before our conversation, uh, you know, this conversation, us, uh, you know, us starting to talk, um, I had never met someone who had, who was a falconer before. So I wasn't sure what number wouldn't have shocked me, but um, that's, that, that number is a little bit higher. Uh, I'm, has that, I mean, are we, do you feel like this sport, is it something that's sort of like climbing in popularity? Is it just sort of staying stagnant or is it declining? I, in the time I've been pursuing falconry, I feel like it stayed the same, but then again, I've not been practicing as long as some other people. Um, if you go back, I don't know, 30, 40 years, I believe the numbers have climbed up quite a bit from what I've seen falconers. Interesting. Okay. All right. So you go through all of this process, right? And you, you get your permit, um, you have your hunting license, you have your mentor, you've passed your test. Uh, Gabe Morden has checked your facilities. You're good to go. You go out, you trap your bird. You, you, you now have this bird. Uh, now what do you do with it? Right? Like, it's not just a, it's not a pet. Um, you know, we need to, we're obviously, uh, procuring this bird for a very specific purpose, which is to, you know, train it to hunt, just like with the dog, a hunting dog, um, you're going to train it. So what, what are we doing to train a bird to hunt? So that's the beautiful thing is I don't have to teach the bird how to hunt. It already knows how to do that. The only thing I have to teach it to do is come back. Interesting. Uh, Really, once you understand, if you've like trained dogs before and you understand animal behavior, it's not difficult, it's just time consuming. Because you have to convince that wild bird that you're not there to kill it, right? And the, the thing that, excuse me a minute, the most important tool in that um, toolbox that we have is actually food. Um, hawks and falcons are highly food motivated and once they figure out that we're sharing our food with them, instead of taking their food away and we're not here to hurt them, it usually moves along pretty quickly. So the training process might start with just the bird set up on a perch. Um, and I'm just going to walk up and put a piece of food down next to it and walk away. So I just left them with a piece of food. And the next step might be to walk up, put a piece of food down, but then stay in the room. And eventually be handing the food directly to the bird and then get the bird to step up to the glove and then fly across the room to the glove. And eventually we go outside and we train on a very long leash called a creance, um, usually about 50 feet long. So we have hundred feet of working room, 50 feet each direction. And once the bird is coming instantly outside the full length of that creance, you take everything off, cross your fingers, put the bird up in a degree and hope it comes back. That, that has to be like a, an anxiety ridden moment, right? Whenever the first time that you take, take that crance off. Oh, absolutely. It, 
it's a very distinct feeling. It's like your heart is going to beat out of your chest and you're really hoping your bird comes back today. <laughs> All right. So um, I feel like uh, this is going to be a, a similar line of questioning uh, when it comes to um, you know, hunt, hunting dogs, uh, I'm sure as people, we all, we're always going to be like, you, know, you get two guys or, or two people in a room uh, that both have falcons or hawks or one of them is going to say to the other, my bird is better than your bird, right? So um, there's always going to be this competition. So I'm sure there are hunt tests of some sorts for falconry. Uh, first question is, have you been a part of it? And then second question is, what's it like being in a hunt test? What are, what, how do we do a hunt test for, uh, for birds of prey? So there actually aren't very many formal competitions, at least that I'm aware of. Um, the closest thing we have in Pennsylvania would actually be the field meet, but that's not necessarily a competition. That's more of just a weekend where a whole bunch of falconers come out and if you're looking to get into falconry, it's a great place to go tag along and watch hunts. But pretty much everybody goes out. We meet at usually a hotel. Um, and then we kind of disperse in groups. And then at the end of the day, we all come back and hang out. And then at the end of the weekend, everybody writes on a little piece of paper what they got and they read them off. Um, there's definitely some competition between individuals, um, but it's not a formal competition. Okay. That, that, okay, that's interesting. That's good that it's nice. It's still uh, a little, a little bit of a, a friendly gathering of people that there's something to be said for that, as opposed to like, we like, like we often tend to do as people and just make everything about numbers and exactly how good and judging and all that stuff. Um, all right. So the purpose of, of having these birds is to hunt with them. Right. Uh, so how do we do that? Uh, you know, let's just stick, you know, since we're both based in Pennsylvania, let's just stick with Pennsylvania. Um, is there a specific season for falconry? Um, what time of day would be best? What kind of species are you hunting? You know, just sort of give me the rundown of what a day of hunting with the bird would be like. So for most people in Pennsylvania, we're flying a red-tailed hawk and we're usually hunting either rabbit or squirrels. And falconry is kind of nice in that we get a slightly extended small game season. Our small game runs from March, from September to March instead of, um, you know, October to February. So we got an extra month on average on each end of the season to hunt. Um, and I've had the most luck either early in the morning or maybe a couple hours before sunset, but you can catch stuff any time of day. There's no set time you have to hunt. Um, other than they can't see once it gets dark. So you have to be in before the sun sets. And typically, if you've got a red tail, you put it up in the tree and the red tail, if it's a good bird and you've done your job as a trainer, it knows that chances are you walking around is gonna make something run away from you. So I'm walking through the woods with my stick and I'm tapping on trees and bushes and the red tail's staying up in the treetops, but she's staying local to me. She's staying pretty close by because she knows that in order to catch something, she has to be close to me, but she also has to be up high because she's not particularly fast off the mark. She has to have gravity to help, help her along. Um, for rabbit hawking, usually that's my less favorite of the two of a rabbit and squirrel. I actually prefer squirrel. Um, for rabbits, usually the rabbit runs and it finds a bush 
and the hawk crashes into the brush and either you hear the rabbit squeal or you don't, um, which is a pretty cool feeling when you do because you're watching the bird, you see it hit and, and you hear the commotion and everything. It's just like, yes. Um, but squirrel hawking, squirrel hunting is actually a little bit more entertaining to watch because they're a little bit more evenly matched, the hawk and the squirrel. They're both up in the treetops and the squirrel knows where every hole is. And it's my job to keep that squirrel up in the tree and keep it from jumping trees if I can so that the hawk can get up there and they're moving around the tree. You have the hawk on one side and the squirrel on the other side and they're kind of moving opposite each other. So the hawk's trying to figure out how to get the squirrel to make a wrong move. The squirrel's trying to figure out how to either get to the ground or get to a hole without the hawk seeing it. Um, and it's a lot of fun. You know, as, as a hunter myself, um, I spend a lot of time in the woods. Uh, and, you know, there are times where I'm watching squirrels, chipmunks, um, every once in a while, rabbit, depending on the area I'm hunting. Uh, uh, even small birds, I see them out. And then all of a sudden, everything just goes away and, and the woods get quiet. And then, you know, within a minute or so, I realize, oh, there's, you know, a hawk sitting in that tree. Um, I'm assuming that when you walk into that woodlot or wherever it is and, and you release that bird up in the tree, those animals, the wildlife around there is probably reacting very similar, right? They're, they're trying to hide. They, they know, they see, they sense that that hawk's there. So when you're talking about like walking through the brush, trying to kick out a rabbit, like that's pretty much what you're trying to do is get those animals back out of hiding because they've gone into hiding because the hawk's there. Yep, that's exactly what we're trying to do. And that's that that is just a, such a cool concept. Um, now, I, I did a little bit of uh, I, I went down a, a rabbit hole, no pun intended here, um, watching some YouTube videos that people have put up that are falconers, you know, and that, when I say YouTube videos, I went down a rabbit hole of not just Pennsylvania, but out west and then other countries. And so I saw all kinds of stuff, all kinds of different birds. Um, one of the coolest things I saw was actually people hunting birds with their, their birds. Is that something that you've done? I have done it. I have not, actually, no, that's not true. I have successfully done it once with my dad's bird. My dad has a Cooper's Hawk, um, which is like the motorcycles of the bird world. They have incredible acceleration off the fist. Um, that's true for all the hawks in that Sipiter family, but they can turn really sharp. They can turn on a dime. Um, and actually some of the most fun I've had uh, was barn hawking with that Cooper's hawk because we put um, the bird up in the rafters of a barn and let her chase the pigeons around the rafters. Um, that was a lot of fun. Oh, and pheasants. We've also hunted pheasants with red-tailed hawks, very similar to rabbit hunting. Um, is we have the bird up in the tree line and he's up high and he's watching us work the field. Um, yeah. So, I mean, with pheasant, with pheasants, is, is the idea to flush the pheasant and then try to get that pheasant out of the air, or are they still trying to get it when it's on the ground? With a red tail, they're going to try to get it while it's running on the ground. Okay. Um, the red tails aren't particularly fast. They are, they're tanks, essentially. They're not fast, but they can crash their way through anything. Um, for something like a goshawk, cooper's hawk, or even a falcon, it's actually more useful to have a pointer dog so you can locate um, locate the pheasant before it really flushes and then get in close and get the bird in position and then take it out of the air. And that, that would be 
something to see to just, you know, instead of using a shotgun, um, you know, you're using a bird that would just be insane to me. Um, so you mentioned that extra month on, on either end uh, of the sort of traditional hunting season. Um, I mean, like I, I'm thinking about what traditionally hunt, with traditional hunting, there are sort of breaks in the small game season. Um, are there breaks in this, in that season or, you know, like during rifle deer season, for example, or is it just sort of, you can sort of go and do it pretty much whenever you want. There was a break this year. It was really where it's the first year we've had a break during rifle. We had a break during um, antlered rifle season this year. It's the first year that we've had that. Um, I don't think we're going to have it next year. I think um, the Pennsylvania Falcon Green Hawk Trust, their local club, was able to talk to the game commission and get that reversed. Now, it, now Sunday hunting is a hot topic. Um, can you participate in falconry on sun on Sundays or is that or are you sort of still in the same um, aspect of no Sunday hunting like regardless of whether you're using a bird or a firearm there is no hun Sunday hunting for falconry it's you have to abide by the same rules that. okay that that that's that's interesting um just that's just I'm just gonna leave it at that. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, so I mean yeah, I'd love that, but you know what? You and me both. Um, you and you and me both. As uh, the listeners know, as I've had um, now two senators, uh, state senators on the podcast to talk about the original Sunday hunting bill and now the updated one. So um, if everyone wants to, if everyone's sick of me talking about Sunday hunting, uh, talk to your state senator, get them to pass the bill, and I will stop talking about it. Uh, my fingers are crossed there. I'm going to keep talking about it because I'll be able to hunt on Sunday, so I'll, I'll talk about it then. Um, okay, so when it comes to um, when it comes to hunting, uh, you know, on the day of like, how do you how do you select the area? Are you like are you pre scouting? Are you trying to like figure out like you know where there's rabbits or uh, squirrels in the area or is it just sort of um, pick a spot and go and sort of hope that that there's something there for the bird to find yeah for me it's a lot of looking at a spot and going oh that looks good I'm going to try hunting there um, so for rabbits I'm looking for a lot of multifloral rows honeysuckle because they like to eat that because it stays pretty green during the winter um, you know, anything that looks miserable to walk through, like I'd get cut up, that's usually where the rabbits are because that's where they live. Um, for squirrels, the ground cover doesn't matter so much, but I'm looking for things like walnut trees, oak trees um, with the big leafy nests in them. You know, I have to say, uh, you mentioned that you walk through all that brush to try to kick out rabbits. Um, I, you know, a lot of people that like to hunt rabbits will say, I don't want to walk through that stuff. So I'm going to get a dog to walk through that stuff uh, and kick the rabbit out. So I don't have to, you're saying I'm going to go do it because that's going to make it easier on the bird. Um, are there people out there that, that can hunt with a dog and a bird? You mentioned, you know, using a pointer for, um, for pheasants. I mean, is that something that people do or does does, is that bird dependent? Like, does the obviously? I feel like you'd have to sort of train the bird a little bit to be okay with a dog. Yeah, and that's that's really the biggest thing. I have a dog. We bought two hounds that we intended to use for rabbit hunting, but 
the bird just, that individual bird just was not receptive to training to be around the dogs. She does not like them. I don't know if she had a bad experience with them before we got her, um, but for whatever reason, she won't tolerate being around the dogs. So that's why I don't use dogs is because my bird won't, she won't have them. <laughs> but there definitely are people who use dogs and actually dachshunds are actually one of the most popular rabbit um, dog breeds along with Jack Russell Terriers. Interesting. Huh. I, I, I don't know that I would have guessed either of those two, two breeds of dogs, but um, I mean, that's, that's what those two breeds were originally bred to do. So that, that makes sense to me. Uh, <clears throat> if, if people want to get more involved, maybe uh, one of the listeners uh, decides uh, I, I want to, I want more information. I'm interested in becoming a falconer. Uh, what would be your suggestion for them to start? What's the first thing they should do? First thing you should do, actually there's two first things you should do. The first thing, the very first thing should be to get in contact with your state's uh, falconry club or other organization and get information on their events. So the picnics, the meets, anywhere that there might possibly be a gathering of falconers. Um, and also ask them if there's a, tell them where you are and ask them if there's a falconer nearby that would be willing to take you out hunting. So that's the biggest first step right there is getting into contact with um, falconers. The second thing you probably want to do is get in contact with the game commission. Um, I know the game commission has a packet they send out um, with a little bit of information on falconry and the forms that you need townships to sign and everything um, and the application. Huh. Okay, cool. Um, you, you have me thinking I'm, that I'm going to contact our state's uh, falconry association uh, just because i want to see it in action uh, I, I if i can find a falconer close to me I, I just want to see the birds in action i think that would be whether they're successful or not i feel like that would be just so much fun to watch uh you know i can just think on the think of the handful of occasions that i have personally seen a wild hawk um you know try to go after a chipmunk or a rabbit or something like that and just how cool that is uh so to be able to be put in a situation where you're actively trying to get that to happen. Um, that's, that, that would be so cool to me. Um, real quick, tell everyone where they can sort of see your birds in action, where they can see you, um, how they can um, see some of your, your hunting that's taken place. So I do have a few videos up on my Facebook page. I am the Falconry Girl on Facebook. Um, I also have a website, falconrygirl.com. Um, I have videos up there, um, and actually, I will be at the New, Jer New Jersey Falconry Club's field meet, which is February 18th and 19th, um, so if you want to come out and see my birds hunt, get in touch with me over my Facebook page, um, and I can arrange, um, if I can't take you out, I know other people who are coming that would also be happy to have somebody out, so that's, that's a hard date that I know I'm going hunting, and I'm going to be having a group out. Oh, huh, that's cool. I, I wish I wasn't in Western Pennsylvania. I'd, I'd meet you out there. It's, <laughs> uh, so th those, just for everyone listening, that those links, you can find uh, links to both the Facebook page and her website down in the episode details. So make sure uh, you give a click just to check it out. Uh, even if you're not, you know, someone who thinks I'm going to become a falconer, it's cool to see some of those videos and, and some of the pictures that, that she has posted there. It, it's, 
it's such a, a cool way to hunt. Absolutely cool way to hunt. Margaret, I mean, thank you for joining us. Uh, this has been awesome. And um, I'm really excited to learn more about falconry just after this brief conversation. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And that will do it for today's episode. I want to thank Margaret for coming on. I want to thank you for listening. This is really cool. Uh, you know, I've always uh, thought that the idea of owning a bird and, and you know, being a falconer uh, was a really cool concept. Uh, it has such long historical reach with humanity. The problem for me is taking care of said bird, right? Uh, this is a, definitely a big, big commitment. So uh, to the people that are able to do it, I think it's awesome. Uh, I really want to uh, just go out with a falconer and see how they work and, and watch the bird. Uh, if you're interested in what Margaret is doing, I highly suggest checking out her Facebook page. Uh, it's the Falconry Girl. And uh, check out her adventures. She puts uh, GPS trackers on, on the birds and uh, has like this visual overlaid over a map. It's really cool. You need to check that out. If you're interested in becoming a falconer, just want to talk to people that do, check out the North American Falconers Association. Uh, it's some great information on there uh, that will help you get started. As always, if you want to support Conserve the Wild in this podcast and what we're doing, make sure you stop on over at our Patreon page. All three links are down in the episode details, so go ahead and just click on those. Until next week, with this beautiful, beautiful weather that we are having here in spring, get outside, take someone with you, and stay wild.